my name is Reino, and I have the privilege of leading Fellowship City uh, as one of the pastors and also one of the elders. Now, guys, let me just say, really important for you to note, I've been in ministry for quite a long time, and I've taught in many various spaces. I have never looked at a screen and taught on Zoom while actually looking at real people sitting in front of me. So right behind my screen, like follow my finger to the webcam, right there, <laughs> we've got actual real people who I'm also preaching to. That's why we call this digital, physical and digital. So I'm really excited about it. If you guys see me, uh, not necessarily sure where I need to click or what I need to do, just offer me some grace this morning. So like Mike said, this is our second worship service. At the moment, we are going through a six-week series. And in the six-week series, we are explaining and unpacking and discussing who we are and what we are about as a church plant, right? So last week, we spoke about the fact that the church is a family. And this week, our theme is we are a missional community. And I'm really excited about that as well. Just coming up uh, as an attraction for the future, in the next couple of weeks, we'll be speaking about suffering and specifically suffering and hope. And we'll also dive deeply into the theme of reconciliation amongst other things. So I'm really excited to take you guys through that um, as a newly launched church. This morning, like I said, our theme is we are a missional community. So let me start sharing my screen. I'll be showing you a whole lot of images today. And then for the people who's gathering physically, you've got the images on your little PDF going there. So um, if I say we are a missional community, this is what I mean. Okay, so I'm putting the end goal out for you now to know where we are working towards. So I, uh, we define being a missional community as we enter into specific spaces, places, and groups of people in our neighborhoods and networks in order to love them, serve them, and witness to them. So if I say we are a missional community, that is what I mean. We'll be looking at one text today, which is a very, very well-known text, and that is Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the text for us. I'm going to pray that the Lord illuminates the text for us as we go through it, and then we'll guide you through the service from there. So Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you've given us this commission. We thank you that we can be part of this mission. I thank you that you are the head of your church and that you keep on bringing people into your family and into your kingdom. I thank you that you are a God who never leaves us nor forsakes us, that you keep on looking for us, that you are a God that pursues us lovingly and full of grace until the day we enter into relationship with you. We pray that you would make these words known to us, edify us through them, encourage us through them. And Lord Jesus, I really do pray that if any of us don't actually know you, that we would get to know you this morning through the preaching of your word, through your spirit moving in and amongst us, and through your word opening up to us as we discuss it in fellowship as well. We pray that in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Guys, <clears throat> so if you would visit Israel uh, today, modern day Israel in Nazareth, you would find this church. This church is called the Church of the Annunciation. And it is a church that was built in memory of the angels making known to Mary 
that she will have a son, that she will to name the son Jesus. So it's uh, in memory of the announcement. Now, if you enter into this church, you find this very, very well-known painting. The proper job name for this painting is the Madonna and Child, which means the mom and her kid, right? So that's Mary and that's Jesus depicted as a baby. Now, I mean, it's not a surprise that if you think about the Renaissance area and you think about the skin color of the person who painted this picture, that Jesus and his mom are both Caucasian looking white people, right? So classic, classic icon of the church, this picture of Jesus and his mom. Now, as you go through the Church of the Annunciation, you're welcome to Google it a little bit later, you'll also find other depictions of Jesus and his mom or the Madonna and child. This one, as an example, comes from Spain, okay? So this is a Spanish version of the Madonna and child. This is a contribution made of the Madonna and child by, um, uh, well, it's kind of a Native American group but actually living in Greenland, Iceland, and the North Pole, right? Known as Eskimos, okay? So this is a depiction of the mother and child uh, by Eskimo people. Here we've got one by Native American people, and uh, that's also the Madonna and child, the mom and the baby. And over here, this is actually a real picture of the Church of the Annunciation. You find a Japanese version of it, right? So that's a mosaic, uh, a picture made up of many, many small tiles of the Madonna and child. And then this is our very own South African contribution of the Madonna and child, right? Which is a version of depicting Jesus and his mom. Now, if you go into the Church of the Annunciation, it's as clear as it can be that our religion, our faith is a very, very diverse faith, right? To be honest, our faith, this is the Christian faith now, is culturally the most diverse faith in the world and that is a fact if you think about it our faith is also the only faith that is kind of equally distributed over all continents right so all other world religions are kind of dense in certain areas of the world whereas christianity has a presence across all continents almost percentage-wise distributed the same so here's the question right you enter the church of the annunciation it becomes clear to you that we are a very diverse faith how did this happen how did we get here? Well, the simplest explanation of this is that the early church took the words of Jesus we just read in Matthew very, very seriously. The church did what it was commissioned to do in this teaching text that we just read. And that is, they went to all nations, right? And they baptized and they taught. And now today, we have disciples of Jesus Christ among all nations and among all people. Now, even though it's part of our DNA as a church, right, to be sent, to evangelize, to baptize and to teach, for some reason, it seems to me like we struggle with this today, especially in the context where we are in, right? You can call us a modern day church, and you can also call us a church in a specific urban setting, right? Most of us on the screen live in big cities full of hustle and bustle. And for some reason, I think the church finds it really difficult to actually be obedient to this commission that it was given. Let me show you this picture real quick. So this is statistics that comes from a real research that was done in 2018 by a group called the Barna Group. So they are known for doing church uh, empirical studies and research. And they did this study among adults who said that I very rarely 
or ever have spiritual conversations. And through the study, they wanted to find out why is it that people really or ever actually have spiritual conversations. Now, the results are all nicely summarized on this one slide. You can have a look at it. Now, there is different reasons, but I would say they fall into two broad categories. The one category is called avoidance, right? It's because I don't want to. And the other category, now I actually Googled how to pronounce this, is ambivalence. Mm. Ambivalence. Okay. <laughs> so it's either avoidance or it's ambivalence. Look at the two red ones. It says the two avoidant responses that most people gave is um, religious conversations always seem to create tension or arguments. That's quite interesting, right? The other one was, um, I'm put off by how religion has been politicized, right? So because people use religion and the thinking around religion in political spheres, people say, I would rather not talk about it, right? So that's the two avoidant responses. And then the two responses that indicate ambivalence, ambivalence, you guys can see that I played it a few times, uh, is the one that says, I'm not religious, right? And I don't care about these kind of topics, like it doesn't bother me. And then the last one is, I don't feel like I know enough to talk about religious or spiritual topics. And I think in the context of South Africa specifically, that's probably our biggest reason for not engaging in conversations. Because somehow we have in our cultural mindset that we have to know everything about everything before we speak to anyone about anything. Did you see me wordplay there? Now, I know we're not the United States, right? But we are in a way... Uh, westernized as people who live in an urban center and we, can, we are definitely influenced by the western world and I think we can identify with these reasons for not having spiritual conversations. Now here's the thing, if we didn't have the Bible and we didn't have the book of Matthew and we didn't have this great commission, none of this would have been an issue, right? But now we do and because we believe that this book is actually authoritative to us, right? It tells us what to do we have to submit under it, we have to let it guide us, and we have to let this book have our way. Isn't that just phenomenal, right? To think that we open up scriptures that are thousands of years old, and today we're going to feel this scripture move us. Okay, so let's look at the teaching text again, okay? And I just want to emphasize a few things to help us understand, here's what the text says. And on my notes, I have a little hashtag, nerd alert, okay? We're going to take a deep dive. And every time I say something Bible nerdy, I always want to say, all the nerds in the house say Greek, Greek. But we are going to go really, really nerdy on this one. Okay, so summary of these two verses we read. Firstly, Jesus's authority that was mentioned in verse 18, the verse just prior to this, and his presence mentioned in verse 20, will empower his disciples to fulfill the mission he gives them in the scripture. That's really important, okay? We'll circle back to that a little bit later. Now, here's where we're going to get nerdy. The commission itself is given, right, by means of one main imperative verb, right? That means one order. Like, one order is given in, this, in these two verses, and that is actually make disciples, Right, so the main verb in these two verses are make disciples. If you really want to hear the Greek word, it's pronounced mathetou, mathetou sate. That's how you pronounce it. 
Okay? And then with this make disciples verb, we have three, now check this, deep nerding, syntactically subordinate participles. Let me explain what I mean. So syntactically subordinate means where it lies in the sentence makes it subordinate to another word, right? So main word, make disciples. And then three words that is connected to make disciples. And these three words are participles, right? So I don't know when was the last time you were actually in school learning what a participle is, but let me help you because this is important, guys. Really, you'll see that this is very important. A participle is a word that is formed from a verb, but it's used as an adjective, okay? A word that is formed from a verb and used as an adjective. So a participle is something you do, but it describes you, right? So check this. If you look at these two verses, here's what it says. Make disciples by going, by baptizing, and by teaching. Mm -hmm. But going, baptizing, and teaching is descriptive words for you. It's actually adjectives. They are a going people. They are a baptizing people. Mm -hmm. They are a teaching people. And by going, by baptizing, and by teaching, what will they do? They will make disciples. Isn't it beautiful? And then the main object of this one big order that is given to the church is all the nations, right? All the people. So do this to them by doing this. Do you see how it all fits together? Make disciples to all nations of people by going, baptizing, and teaching. Now, guys, simply stated, this is what we ought to do as Christians. And this is what we are going to do as Fellowship City, right? So as a new church plant, this is our great commission. This is what we are going to focus on as a church. And that's why we say we are a missional community. So next slide there, you'll see the key message again. This asks of us to enter into specific spaces, places, and groups of people in our neighborhoods and networks in order to love them, serve them, and witness to them. Okay. So if I would pause my sermon now, you would go, cheers for the Bible nerd stuff. And thank you for making it plain to us. Dude, please tell us how. Because I think that's the important question, right? Yes, Reino, good point. But how? I want to put two words on the table for us. And this is something we can discuss in our breakouts once we're done. The two words are talking and inviting. Okay, talking and inviting. Now, I want to draw a little illustration here. And the illustration is meant to help us understand what the difference is between facts and experiences. Okay, so there's a picture for you of a woman cruising in a car. Now, let's say you are cruising down the N1 <coughs> just after Buerta Avenue on your way to John Foster. There's a little drag on the freeway where people always hit the brakes. I don't know why. And all of a sudden, as you're driving in this car, you see an accident happen in front of you. And once the accident happens, everyone comes to a standstill. And then someone asks you, dude, tell me about an accident. What happened here? What are you going to say? Are you going to share your experience of the accident? Or are you going to give them facts? You're going to give them facts, right? It's going to be cold, hard facts. This is what happened. This is who did what. This is how it all transpired, and this is what I saw. You are talking about something outside of you, objectively, 
stating it factually, mm -hmm. right? Now, there is space for an eyewitness account. But guys, I want to say that if we talk about our faith, we shouldn't talk like that, right? Talking about your faith in a factual, objective way, just describing exactly what happened, isn't really a compelling narrative, right? Let me show you the next picture. There we go. So we've got a little cutlet going here. Some sauteed potatoes. Hashtag lunchtime. We've got a nice, quickly pan-fried broccoli floret. Under the cutlet, you'll see a little caramelized onion. Now tell me about that. If you just had that for lunch, what would your uh, uh, um, version of the story be? Would you tell me ingredient by ingredient what was on the plate? Or would you tell me, dude, chowing that was awesome. I cannot tell you the burst of flavors that happened on my palate. Right. Oh, hang on. Sorry, not everyone is meat eaters. So for the vegans in the house, that is, that is a vegan burger, okay? And it's, it's legitimate and it's real, okay? And if that's your jam, then that's your jam. Okay, wait, let me juxtapose these two bad boys. So we've got cutlet on the one hand and we've got vegan burger on the other hand. Okay, so whichever one gets you going and whichever one you really like, just look at that picture. Question, if you had this and you told someone about it, what would your language be like? It would be real. You would say what you experienced. It would be compelling. And not only would you be talking about it, but you would be inviting someone. What's the first thing you do when you had a cutlet like that? You tell people, you also have to go there. Can I go and show you? Dude, can I send you the link? Or can I send you an address? Can I tell you when the special is? Because it's something that actually happened to you. It is an experience you had. And by talking through the experience, you won't be talking factual and ingredients. You'll talk about the crunch. You'll talk about the taste. You'll talk about the finger licking happening afterwards. You'll talk about the little Himalayan pink salt ground over it. Do you know what I mean? Anyone hungry? Anyone hungry in the house? Yeah, yeah. Like the salt that was, you know, thrown onto the food exactly like that. That's what you'll talk about. And it'll be compelling. It'll be real. It happened to you. And you won't help yourself you'll invite someone into it. My friends, this is what makes an actual relationship with Jesus so awesome and so compelling to talk about. Because it's not only info. If you talk to someone about your relationship with Jesus, you're not going to give an eyewitness account with facts objectively. You're going to tell them about the experience of being loved and of being known and of being forgiven and of being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Right? Feeling God's presence in dark times. Feeling a joy you can't explain. That's the kind of stuff that you are going to talk about. Because Jesus is alive. Right? Even his Bible is alive. It's, it's described as the living word. Right? So we have a living word talking about a living God. Telling us about uh, you sent a living Messiah. To give us a living faith and a living hope through living human beings. It's like life all around. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about something very, very real. I want to put to you that if we want to be obedient to the Great Commission, that's what we ought to do. Talk and invite. But talk as if it's real. Tell the story as it happened to you. I saw this quote from John Stott. Now, John Stott is an old English preacher. 
But this quote, man, oh man, it came into my ears like something amplified. Nothing shuts the mouth, seals the lips, and ties the tongue like the secret poverty of our own spiritual experience. We do not bear witness for the simple reason that we have no witness to bear. If the bread of life has evidently not satisfied us, why should non-Christians suppose it will satisfy them? So guys, that's a rough one. It's a weighty one. But I think it's something that we have to turn onto our own lives as a spotlight. Let me make the Great Commission a little bit easier for us, and then we'll be done. So I have a good friend uh, in the United States. His name is Todd Moore. Well, not Moore. Moore. Todd Moore. But in my accent, Todd Moore. <laughs> so he, he looked at the Great Commission. And he said, let's make the language like baptizing disciples and nations. Let's make it a little bit easier. All right, let's put it in common vernacular. And then he uh, looked at five P's that comes out of the Great Commission that I would like to show to you guys. Okay, so here's the five P's. People, places, proclamation, plan, and a prayer. So if we use Todd's five P's, and I mean everyone that likes a little list, how easy is five P's to remember, right? The Great Commission sounds like this. Go to all people in all places, proclaim the gospel with a plan, and pray like a champ. That's pretty much a modern day rendition, I would say, of the Great Commission. We have an awesome responsibility as a church to do this. And I would like you guys to see verse 20. I said we'll circle back to it later. We're there now. That we don't have to do this on our own. Right? If we were left to our own devices and strength to do this, the task would just be overwhelming. Let's be honest. But we're not left alone in this assignment. The risen, enthroned Jesus promises to be with us in the fulfillment of this commission. And not intermittently but always. Therefore, we are a missional community. Amen.